tonight's reading it can be found in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, and this is on page 239. Joshua 24, page 239. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river of Euphrates and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also, two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the river Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to take, to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord God, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on entering 
our entire journey and among all the nations throughout which we travelled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and will make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Tinrah, Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gesh. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and, uh, and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which sorry, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar's son of Aaron died and was buried at Gibeth, which had been allotted to his sons Philemus, Phineas, in the hill country of Ephraim. This is the word of the Lord. Claudia, thank you so much for reading our passage. Good evening. It's great to see you folks. Hey, in case you haven't met before, I'm Father Daniel. No, I'm not, but I'll tell you what, my Catholic parents would have loved that phrase. But, but they wouldn't have a grandson, or at least they definitely shouldn't have a grandson. Right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can meet tonight as your children, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and hear you speak to us. Thank you for this passage in Joshua. We pray that you'd help us to understand what it's saying and help us to apply it to our lives. Help us as listeners to, to be open to your word and for your spirit to work in us and help me as the preacher uh, to speak your word faithfully and winsomely. And we pray your spirit would be at work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If I were to ask you, when do you think people are most likely to drift spiritually or to fall away, I wonder what you'd say. When are people most likely to backslide? Here's when I think it can often happen, during periods of change. So it could be when, when someone moves from one town or city to another, and they don't get stuck into a new local uh, Bible-teaching church. It could be when a student uh, heads off to university. They no longer have their parents around them to take them to church on Sundays or to youth meetings. It could be when, when someone transitions from college or university to the workplace. They no longer have the support of their youth group or of their Christian union. It could be when someone gets married. and Maybe their spouse doesn't really spur them on uh, to live for Jesus. It could be when someone has a child. The child can very easily become the center of a parent's universe. And spiritual things suddenly begin to take a backseat. Or it could be during a time of loss. Perhaps the, the, the loved one you lost was the person who most encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. And without them, your spiritual fervor cools. Or perhaps their loss even causes you to become angry with God. And you find yourself questioning God or, or pushing him away. During times of change, it is so, so easy to drift spiritually. Now, why am I highlighting this? It's during a season of change that our passage tonight is set in. So the book of Joshua describes God's dealings with his people Israel under the leadership of Joshua. So at the beginning of the book, uh, we're told of how Joshua is Moses' successor. He's Israel's new leader. But now at the end of the book, we learn of Joshua's death. So in verse 29, it says, After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. It's a great innings. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance. So Joshua passes away, and his death signals a time of tremendous change in the life of Israel. Now Joshua, before passing away, he knew that this was going to be the case. So what does he do? He decides to prepare the Israelites for his departure. And why, why does he do that? Notice what we learn about Israel under Joshua's leadership. So have a look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. How did Israel fare under Joshua's leadership? It says that they served the Lord. The question is, how are they going to continue serving God? How can they continue serving him during this season of change? That's the question our passage addresses. And friends, it's a question that is relevant to us today. Even if you're thinking, hey, I'm not going through a season of change right now, you will certainly in the future. 
As a famous Greek philosopher once said, the only constant in life is change. So how are we, how are we to, to keep living for God, even during those seasons of change? Here's the first way we ought to do it. We ought to remember God's faithfulness. That's our first point. So in verse 1, uh, we learn that Joshua assembles all the tribes of Israel, which he does to give them his, his final key address. And what does he talk about? He talks about how God has been faithful to his promises to his people. So he, he recounts Israel's history, highlighting God's presence, provision, and providence from when before there were a nation right up to their entering and conquering the promised land. Israel owes all its blessings to God. They are where they are because of Him, and they are who they are because of Him. God has been incredibly faithful to His people. Throughout verses 2 to 13, and this is brought out, this is really brought out in the way that God speaks through Joshua. So God speaking in the first person uh, repeats time and time again his, his, his own activity. So in verse 3, he says, I took your father Abraham and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. Verse 5, then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Verse 7, you saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them there before you. Verse 11, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. What is Israel's history a reminder of? God's faithfulness. Friends, if, if Israel is going to keep serving the Lord, she will need to regularly remember God's faithfulness towards her. And so will we. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus reminds us that God is faithful to us. Just as we know that God was faithful to Israel through his presence, provision, and providence, we can be certain that he is also faithful to us Christians in those same ways. He's present with us through his spirit. He provides us with what we need, and he is sovereign over every, every area of our lives. Think of how God has faithfully rescued us through the cross, from sin and death. 
Because God is faithful, all our sins are forgiven. Because God is faithful, we are righteous in His sight. Because God is faithful, He dwells with us. Because God is faithful, we have a spiritual family. And I was reflect, I've been reflecting on this recently, and it's like I'm so grateful that I have a spiritual family. You know, Rachel and I don't have a biological family here in Banstead or nearby, right? And so now, in, in this season of change for us, we've got a baby. We are so grateful that we have a spiritual family that God has given us, who love us and care about us and have been praying for us and cooking for us and giving us gifts and encouraging us. We are so grateful. God is faithful. I'm digressing. God is faithful. We have a spiritual family. And because God is faithful, we have a new creation to look forward to. An eternal home where we will have glorious new bodies that will not get sick. And the new creation, you're not going to need to take antibiotics. You're not going to need to have blood tests. You're not going to need to have scans. Your bodies won't grow frail, and they will not die. Friends, God is faithful. Let's regularly remember His faithfulness. And let's not forget to do this during seasons of change. When we remember God's faithfulness, I think that is when we'll want to recommit our lives to Him. We'll we'll want to recommit to serving Him. That's our second point, recommit to serving the Lord. Notice what Joshua invites the Israelites to do in verse 14. Have a look down there. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the river Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. What's, what's Israel's appeal? Sorry, what's Joshua's appeal to Israel? Recommit your life to God. Fear Him. Serve Him. But notice, notice the timing of Joshua's appeal. When does it happen? It happens after after Israel has first been reminded of God's faithfulness to them. Friends, there's no point in in trying to commit yourself to following the Lord if, if you're not aware of His character, and if you're not aware of His of His goodness, if you're not aware of His faithfulness. It's so, so much easier to commit yourself to Him when you know that He is good, when you're convinced that He is trustworthy. Are you not sure if you want to commit to serving God? Are you, are you sitting on the fence? <laughs> then you need to go back and, and remind yourself of who God is and of what He's done. Take a look again at the cross. God sent His Son to die for us because of his love for us. Friends, recommit to serving God because of his faithfulness. 
By the way, if, if you're here and you've never made a commitment before uh, to serve God, here's how you can as well. If, if you're not a Christian, spend time considering how good God is to his people. I think that's what can persuade you to live for God and, and not for yourself or something else. You see, everyone, everyone serves something or someone. Look at what Joshua says in verse 15. But if, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Notice how Joshua doesn't say, hey, choose, choose whether you're going to serve the Lord or whether you're not going to serve the Lord. He doesn't. He says, choose whom you will serve. Why does he do that? Because everyone, folks, everyone serves something or someone, whether they realize it or not, or whether they like it or not. So the question is, who are you, who, who are you serving? Is it the Lord? If it isn't, then who is it? The answer cannot be no one or nothing. That is not an option. There will always be someone or something you serve. If it's not God, then it's someone or something else you put in his place. I know a guy um, at a previous church I was at. And uh, this guy was really, really interested in following Jesus. I thought this guy's, you know, I thought this guy's become a Christian. Uh, he was going to church every Sunday. He was going to midweek Bible studies, and he was so keen to talk about God's word. But when he he excitedly told his family, he told his mom and his sister that he'd he'd become a Christian. They they didn't reply with the same enthusiasm. And that reaction wasn't what he'd expected. They did not approve of, of him becoming a Christian. So what did he do? Well, he didn't want to serve God anymore. He wanted to, to keep his family happy. He wanted to keep them sweet. That was more important to him. You see, he wanted to serve his family more than he wanted to serve God. So who was, who was my friend's real God? It was his, his family or their approval or acceptance of him. That's who he most wanted to please and who he chose to serve. Now, folks, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't prioritize loving and caring for your family. Of course, you must. <laughs> However, if, if, if they don't want you to serve the Lord, 
then what do you do? Don't acquiesce. Serve God and serve Him because He is faithful. Friends, I know people in our congregation whose family did not approve of them becoming Christians. But you know what? They're still following Jesus. Why? (laughs) They chose to serve the Lord. It's not that they don't love their family. It's it's that they, they want God to be God in their lives. Not their family or anything else. Let God be God in your life. This is the the covenant or or the commitment that Joshua was calling the Israelites to. If they they wanted to serve God, they would have to root out any idols in their lives. And the same applies to us. Folks, if if we're going to live for God, we're going to have to remember His faithfulness and recommit to serving Him. Or commit for the first time if, you, if you've never done it before. And in addition to that, remove any idols. That's our third point. Remove your idols. In verse 14, Joshua said, Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the river Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So I read that, I, it made me wonder, why, why does Joshua have to say, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped? I think it's likely because the Israelites, they still have some idols that they're clinging, they're clinging on to. So Joshua says, choose God, choose Him wholeheartedly and, and ditch your idols. Stop trying to, to serve both. Folks, I mentioned my friend earlier who who chose to serve his family over serving God. It became very clear where his allegiance was. Are there any idols in your life that are rivaling the place that is meant to belong to the Lord? Is, Is God first in your life or is something else? You know, the thing about idols is um, some of them can be, they can be really obvious, really blatant, really clear, like that's an idol. Uh, but others can be a bit harder to, to, you know, to, to discern, to notice that they're actually idols. Folks, if I were to say, hey, do you know what? Um, I really love Jesus, but I also really, I really love getting drunk a lot. That would be a red flag. Like if, if I say, hey, I love Jesus, but I really enjoy going on the lash every weekend, there's, there's an idol there. And that idol, it needs dealing with. Why? Because look, the Bible says, hey, don't get drunk. And there's this idol here, but I'm like, just ignoring it. If that idol is in my life, well, I need to ask myself, hey, who, 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 is, who is more important to me? Is it Jesus or is it 
Or is it Jack? Is it Jesus or is it Jack Daniels? I need to choose who I'm going to serve. What about idols that are less apparent? So Tim Keller writes, when, when we're completely immersed in a society of people who consider a particular idolatrous attachment normal, it becomes almost impossible to discern it for what it is. Folks, what, what are the idols that, that are not recognized as such in our society? I think there are loads. But just to name a few, I think um, these are certainly some of them. Success. Comfort. My own personal happiness. Look, in our culture, living for success, living for that, I'm not saying success in, in and of itself is wrong, but living for that is, it's admired, right, by our society. Like, that's a good thing, do that. We're encouraged to, to seek it. But what if, what if our ambition to be successful uh, surpasses our ambition to be godly? Then you've clearly got an issue. If, if, I, if I end up making not-so-godly choices and I repeat them, I don't repent, and, and, I, and I make these not-so-godly choices in order to be successful, then success has very clearly become an idol. What about comfort? If, if I'm primarily concerned about living a comfortable life, then maybe that's, that's an idol I have. What about if I just want to do what makes me what makes me happy. Well, taking that path well, it might lead me to live in ways that, that disobey God, and disobey how God in his word tells me to live. If, if my primary goal in life is to be happy, then if anything in God's word goes against that, I might go, okay, well, my happiness is more important than, than what God says. Now, folks, I think there are many more idols um, that you know, could be lurking in our lives. I'll just mention a few there that I think our culture kind of embraces wholeheartedly. Now, folks, I would encourage you to, to spend time thinking, praying, or, or discussing with a fellow Christian what might be some of the idols in your life that you need to address. You know, Shaq mentioned the men's seminar coming up on Tuesday. If you're a bloke, hey, that would be a great place uh, to begin to do this as, as brothers. Do make sure you come along on Tuesday evening to the men's, to the men's seminar. Now, brothers and sisters, um, before I close, I just want to add one, one caveat. So I really hope that you will seek to keep living for God or start living for Him if you haven't already. How? By remembering God's faithfulness. By committing or recommitting to serving Him and by removing your idols. But I have to stress that doing these things in and of themselves or by themselves, just doing those things, they're not going to be enough. 
You see, Joshua says in verse 19, he says to the Israelites, you are not able to serve the Lord. You are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> Which I find so odd, like bizarre. I mean, he's, here's, here's Joshua telling people, hey, serve God. But he's like, well, you can't actually. What is going on? And then in verse 31, it says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. So there is a sense in which Israel is serving the Lord. And I think the serving doesn't mean they, you know, they were serving and following him perfectly. They were never sinning. Of course they were. Just like we do. Are we able to serve the Lord? Are we able? So, jo- so Joshua told them, you're not able. Are we able? I think the, the, the answer to that question is, it depends. So Israel was able to serve the Lord when she had a godly leader. And for Israel, here at least in, in this book, in Joshua, that leader was Joshua. So we're seeing, hey, when Israel has a leader, a godly leader, she can serve the Lord. Not perfectly, but she can serve the Lord. But when Israel didn't have a godly leader, well, then it all went to pot. And folks, we know that. And we've done a series here in the book of Judges. We know when Israel doesn't have a godly leader, things go pear-shaped very, very quickly. And they cannot serve God. Folks, we, we also need a godly leader. Are we following the, the preeminent leader God has given us? You see, unlike, unlike Joshua, Jesus, our leader, well, he, he leads forever. Even when he dies, he rises. He's leading us today. He's leading us through his word and through his spirit. Are we, are we listening to him? Are we closely following him? Let's, let's do that as we remember God's faithfulness. As we commit or recommit to serving him. And we chuck our idols in the bin. Let's pray. Father, my desire is to keep living for you always, even in the midst of change. And I know that is a desire of many here tonight. And Father, for those who do not have that desire, we pray that you give them that desire to want to live for you. And we pray that we would all remember how faithful you are to your people and this would lead us to keep coming back to you and focusing on you and wanting to serve you and to worship you alone and to get rid of our idols. Help us to keep looking to you and help us to keep following Jesus 
as we seek to do that. And we ask this in his name. Amen.